All right, Jesus, Father, the Spirit of Truth, bring us truth this morning. Bring us light. Thank you that you've already drawn near to us. And we put our gaze back on you, our eyes back on you after wonderful refreshments, snacks, granola bars. And connecting with our, our friends and family, we put our eyes back on you and say, what do you want to do in our hearts? Whatever that is that you want to do, we give you permission to do it. Thanks that you're gentle and kind enough to not force your way in. So we open ourselves to you and say, have at us. For your kingdom's sake we pray. Amen. Wow, you guys really quiet down quickly as soon as we start to pray. Nothing else really works. That's all right. Hey, good morning. My name is Chris. I'm happy to see you all. Some new faces, some not as new faces, some visiting faces. Lovely weekend here on the coast, huh? How ridiculous have the last few days been. Unbelievable. So thanks for being here. You could be out there in the water. So thank you for being here. Both spiritual choices. Let me bring you up to speed real quick. Once again, not to be patronizing, not to be condescending, but because we're continuing a larger conversation. We've been grappling with the reality that if any of you have ever read the Bible, if you have gone to the Old Testament, not just the New, you find a very seemingly contrasting picture of God. In the Old Testament, you have a God that at one point almost annihilates the whole human race, and yet you fast forward to the New Testament, you have a God who dies for the whole human race. You have a God that seemingly commands wars and demands bloodshed, and you have a God who says, turn the other cheek, and says, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Don't play that game. And it's like, whoa, how many gods do we have in this story? And you have a God that demands sacrifice, and yet a God that becomes sacrifice. And it makes you think, is, does God have mental health issues? <laughs> what... What is going on here? Is there something wrong with this picture? Or is it just something that we're forced... Sometimes we resign to having answers that are so robust like, well, we'll just never understand because God is God. And you're like, oh, there's some deep congruence there. Thank you. Thank you for working that out for me. So the issue is, can we really look at these things? Is God afraid of us asking these questions? Is, so we've been calling the series, Shame on God? Question mark. Pound sign, skeletons in the divine closet. Okay, we don't have the pound sign on there, but some of you guys unknowingly call that a hashtag, incorrectly. But it's, it are the, they're these skeletons in the divine closet. And so we, what I did the last few weeks was gave a framework, actually three frameworks that we kind of need to, that have been helpful for me to hold together to say, how do we make sense of these Old Testament stories in light of Jesus? When there's not congruence, can we do something to get some congruence? 
The first thing I proposed was that just like watching a movie, we don't just dive into the first scene and start drawing conclusions and say, oh, this must be what's going on. You wait for the whole story to unravel before you try to make judgments about what's happening. And with the Bible, the moment we're waiting for, the person we're waiting for, is Jesus to come and show us what it's always been about, that everything we read in Scripture needs to be understood in light of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. The second thing we talked about was what? The second thing was that just maybe not everything that happened in Scripture was God's ultimate ideal, but that maybe God was actually coming to meet humanity where we were at and essentially making, for lack of a better word, concessions or accommodating to our brokenness or our immaturity, but yet lovingly pulling us forward. That was another framework I proposed, and we gave some examples of that. Go online and listen to the talk if you need some concrete examples. And the third was that just maybe, where are my glasses at? Just maybe from Adam and Eve on, our picture of God has been distorted. That there has been a sense in which we don't see God clearly. And that Jesus comes to ultimately show us the face of God. So with these three things, we're trying to build an understanding that, wait a minute, maybe it's not just as simple as God has mental health issues, but maybe there's more going on here. This morning, I wanted to show you a striking example of how all these three themes come together. And it has to do with this beautiful book that some of you have probably started and maybe not finished. Who's read the book of Leviticus from the beginning to end? How was that for you? (laughs) Did anybody feel dirty inside? Not to be disrespectful of Scriptures, you know, Father, Son, Holy Bible, but not to be disrespectful of the Scriptures, but you read the book of Leviticus, and I mean, I saw the movie American Sniper recently, and I don't know about you all, but I didn't know what happened at the end. So what happens is, but you guys will be throwing stuff in my face. I didn't know what happened at the end of American Sniper, but I just felt dirty and violated, and didn't, if you saw that, didn't you just feel wrong? At the end of the movie? And, what's that? Yeah. Go watch it. You didn't? Well, I did. (laughs) I just felt, I felt like I had got kicked in the teeth. Just made me feel like, I I was like, I need to go take a shower. And I'm not talking about the violence and war. Yeah, anyways, don't. Moving on. But I felt gross inside, and I feel like that's sometimes what happened when I would read Leviticus. It's like, what is this all about? Like, kill this animal like this, and and do this to this animal. And it's like, I mean, where's the Tatham family? You're like, seriously? Like, what's your, what's your, uh, where are they at? Cammie? What's your cow's name? June? Yeah. I mean, think about the book of Leviticus while picturing Cammie, like, loving on her cow. It's like, that just makes your stomach hurt. Why would God demand such a grotesque thing? One teacher called the book of Leviticus, he said it's kind of like a B-grade slasher film with no plot. It's just like, yikes, what, what is this? And the question is, why, what kind of God would demand such grotesque things? Why would God ask for those sacrifices? We, how many songs this morning talked about blood? 
which was, where's David at? David, beautiful setup this morning, by the way. I loved how you brought us back to some of the, not necessarily oldie oldies, but some of the just classics that just, they just come out of you because they're so familiar. It was beautiful. Thank you. And a lot of them talked about blood because blood plays a primary role in the life of Christianity, in the life of God. So why is that? We're going to look, let's see, I'm not sure if this is going to work. We're going to look at the story quickly. Is he eating? Awkward. Okay. Um, when he's done, will you bring him up to me? <laughs> Don't look. Some of you guys are like, Chris, just, what are you doing this morning? Um, <laughs> Zachary's covering Nathan up. So, in the story of Genesis, the book of Genesis, God comes to a I get that. God comes to a man named Abram. And he's about he's not young. He's what, in his 80s, 90s? God comes to him and he says, "Hey, I'm going to make a promise to you. Your descendants, your offspring are going to be greater than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And you and they will be a blessing to every nation." And Abraham's excited about it. And God says, go out from this land and go to this place. And I believe it was a place called Canaan that he ended up. And a few chapters later, we find Abraham with the fulfillment of God's promise, or at least the beginning of God's promise, in his arms, his son Isaac. Here he comes. So after a long time waiting... And they're like, this will never happen. Hey, and his wife, Sarah, actually. (laughs) Come on up. And God says, God says, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a baby. And Abraham's like, "Uh, okay. And then he looks at his wife and says, hey, God says we're going to have a baby. And his wife just starts laughing. And next thing they know, we, we don't know how it happened, but a baby comes into the picture. A very sleepy baby. And God comes and says, hey, this baby that I promised you, uh, here's what I need you to do. I want you to take him to this mountain. I want you to lay him on this altar. Uh, Okay, I want to be really careful with you. (laughs) I want you to lay him on this altar. And I want you to end him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. And we read this story. I'm super scoring points right now, aren't I? No, he's scoring points right now. But we read this story and we title the chapter, Genesis 22, our Bible subtitle at things like The Faith of Abraham, right? God tests Abraham's faith. And so we're thinking, yes, this is Abraham's chance to show God what he's made of, to show God how faithful he will be. You're doing so... Look at you. (laughs) But it's interesting that at the beginning of the chapter, when God comes to Abraham and says that, Abraham gets some of his servants and he says, hey, come with me and then wait at the bottom of the mountain because me and the boy will come back down. You're like, huh. Is there something Abraham knew that these other people didn't know? 
Cameron, do you have your knife on you? Keep it in your pocket, please. <laughs> but just imagine, you feeling, you're not even awkward at all right there. You're not, you're not uncomfortable at all. He's like, he's like, I love this. You have no idea what's coming, boy. <laughs> you have no idea what's coming. Imagine the emotion. Imagine what Abraham is processing as this is the fulfillment of his promise sitting here on the altar. And we're like, look at Abraham. What a man of faith. It's kind of messed up, you guys. It's very messed up. And what we see Abraham do is we see Abraham, he ties up Isaac on the altar. And he takes a knife, and as he's about to bring it down over Isaac's body, God says what? Stop. Now we all know that that shows something beautiful. You're such a good sport, dude. Oh my goodness. We all know that that tells us something about Abraham, that Abraham trusted God enough to somehow fulfill God's promise, even if Abraham obeyed to the point of the death of his son. But the question I didn't start thinking about until a couple years ago was, who is the star of the story of Scripture? Who is the central figure of Scripture, and who is the point? Who is the purpose? Who is the one we should be looking at? This one? The question is, yes, we learn something about Abraham as a person, but what does Genesis chapter 22 tell us about God? Get out of here. You're alive. Run free. Run to your mama. Come here. (laughs) He is showing off big time right now. Come here. He's four months old. (laughs) The question is, what does the story about Abraham and Isaac not teach us about Abraham, but what does it teach us about God? And the thing that we have to have in our minds is this understanding of what Abraham was dealing with culturally. Abraham was alive in a time where all different kinds of sacrifice were normal. For example, you would have people that would give their livestock and their grains to the gods in the hopes that their gods would be happy and okay and appeased and would provide, respond, reciprocate. You have people that would cut themselves as a sacrifice, as an offering to God. You have people, one guy tells a story of being in the Middle East and being in the Holy Land, and there's, there's this altar there, and they're on a tour, and somebody's leaning against the altar, and, and the tour guide begins to tell a story about how on this one very altar, some of the people in that day, would, the men would castrate themselves and lay their manhood on the altar. And the guy, like, he's kind of like... Because, yeah, they would go to these crazy extremes to sacrifice to God, their livestock, their belongings, their wrists, their potential lives, their manhood. You ever heard of a god named Moloch or Molech? It's this bronze statue god that has these cow horns. 
and this oval indentation in its belly where the people would take their children and there would be a fire lit inside the belly. They would take their children and they would put them inside as an offering, as a sacrifice to Molech. You know where Molech was? It was in the land of Canaan. So Abraham sees all this going on around him. You notice that when God comes to him and says, sacrifice your son Isaac, Abraham doesn't say why, does he? Because he understands that God's demand sacrifice. He doesn't say how, because he had seen it done before. He just says, okay, well that makes sense. God wants sacrifice. God is God, I will sacrifice. And so when Abraham takes Isaac, puts him on the altar, and brings down the knife, and God says, stop, what has God done to the consciousness and understanding in Abraham's mind about what kind of God this is? God has shown Abraham in that very moment, I'm not anything like all these other gods. All these other gods demand sacrifice. They demand your grain. They demand your livestock. They demand you cutting yourselves. They demand your manhood. They demand your children. I'm not like those other gods. And Abraham looks over in the thicket, whatever thicket is, I guess in the bushes, right? Looks over in the bushes and there's a ram caught in there. And God says, take that. And sacrifice that. I believe that that wasn't because God needed that ram. It was because Abraham was convinced God needed that ram. It would be as if if God were to say to Abraham, hey, sacrifices are really not my thing. It would be like, He'd be like, "Uh, that's Chinese to me. I don't really understand. That doesn't compute. Abraham has no... That was real Chinese, but that was not anything substantial. Um, But it would not make any sense to Abraham. It would be like God speaking another language because all Abraham knew was God's want sacrifices. So what God is actually doing, far from creating this system is actually putting limits around a system that humans had already created. God is saying, look it, you insist on doing this. You insist on giving this and this and this and doing this and this and this. This is as far as I will let you go. Until one day I will bring you to a place where you realize I don't need that. Remember we talked about God coming and meeting us where we're at? God meets them in the sacrificial system and their desire to do that. But he says, let me pull you forward. Look at, you want to give livestock? You can give me one and then be done. You want to give me grain? Give me one little thing and then be done. There's a verse in Hebrews 9. It says, and under the law, almost everything needs to be cleansed by blood. And we say, well, God needs blood. Well, didn't Jesus forgive people before he died on the cross? There's a verse in Leviticus that says if you don't have this and you don't have this and you don't have this, you can give a bag of flour as an offering. And you think God's like, yay, flour, I love gluten. (laughs) 
God is not jonesing for a bag of flour. God is saying, look it, this is all I want you to give me because I'm not that kind of God. And until I can heal you from the shame that's convinced that I'm angry, until I can heal you from the sense that I'm displeased with you, that I could show you that I accept you, that I draw close to you, that my arms are open to you, until I can heal you from that anxiety, we're going to have to put limits on this broken system. And then Jesus comes and becomes the sacrifice to what? To show the sacrifices were great all along? No, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. There's a couple of scriptures that says very plainly, shows very plainly how God felt. Oh, by the way, really quick. So some people wonder where the whole idea came from. And some people say, well, it must have come from Cain and Abel. But if you look closely in the story, where does God ever ask Cain or Abel to bring a sacrifice or an offering? It appears that it was of their own initiative. God never says, hey, Cain, bring this. Abel, bring this. It says that they brought their offerings to the Lord. does not record God ever asking that of them. In 1 Samuel 15, after Samuel was, well, told Saul to go kill the Amalekites and wipe them out, which is one I hope we'll have time to talk about. Saul doesn't do it. He disobeys. And Samuel says, look it. Does the Lord delight in offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Because Saul disobeyed and he thought, well, I'll make it up to God by going and sacrificing these things. And Samuel's like, you're wasting your time. Another one quickly. In the book of Isaiah, God tells the Israelites, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. I only have 12 more. Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. 11 more. So what, if we have this system in place, what was the blood for? If I'm trying to propose that it was not ever for God, what if the blood wasn't for God? What was it for? Hebrews 9 tells us, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify what? God's need for wrath? To purify what? Our conscience. You sacrifice to God because you feel guilty. God says, I want to wipe away that sense of guilt and shame. I am going to cleanse your conscience that makes you think I need this to cleanse us from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 10 goes on to tell us because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And in case we didn't get it from chapter 9, it's repeated. 
Let us what? What was the theme of our worship time that God was speaking through Mike, through Shara, through everybody? What was God saying? Draw near. God is drawing near. And God wants us to know that we can draw near to God. With a sincere heart. What's another word for sincere? Full, genuine, authentic, whole. That we can draw near with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having what? Having God's anger cleansed. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God is saying, this whole system, I never needed it, never wanted it, you insisted upon it, I came to end it. Yes, Jesus' blood does something. It doesn't change God from from an angry God to a non-angry God. It changes us into the type of people that can actually trust that God is for us. And some of you might say, well, well, God does like sacrifice. There is one sacrifice that the Bible says is pleasing to God. Who knows what it is? Actually, there's two sacrifices. One is Jesus, but we'll talk later about why that was pleasing to God. But there's another sacrifice in the book of Romans. Dora? I don't think it's in the book of Romans, but it's a broken heart. Old Testament, though. Yes, the, a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. Yeah. But there's another one in the New Testament that says there's a sacrifice that God is pleased by. It's in Romans chapter 12. Come on, come on. It says, offer your what? Where did you say it? Offer your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice and how does that contrast with everything in the Old Testament? Does God say in Romans 12, I want to kill you and then I'll be happy? Have you heard people say things like that? Like, God doesn't want to hurt you. God just wants to kill you. To make you more like Jesus. That's some, I've heard that a lot. God wants to kill you, meaning God wants to kill your flesh or God wants to you know, rid you of this. Sure. It says that God is pleased with a living sacrifice. In other words, hey, throw your whole body on the altar in connection with God. It's not about, hey, God wants death. God wants blood. God loves the smell of burning animals. It says God is a God of life. And if you insist on giving sacrifices, here's what you can give. Give your living body in community for God's purposes. Now we talk about the primitiveness or how archaic it is to think that God demands sacrifice in this way, right? So I have a question for you all. What do you do to make God pleased with you? Because really it's not just them back here that have this mentality, is it? Have you ever had thoughts like this? 
well, God, because I blank, then doesn't that mean you should blank? God, didn't you see that I blank? God, did you notice I lived with my family for five years in China? The least you could do is... What is that? Same system, new expression, isn't it? What about you guys? Is there anybody... How? Let's, I'm not going to say what about your particular way, but what are some ways in, in modern Western Christianity that we keep this system alive? What are the things that we do if we say, well, we put this in, God must put this back out. We do this, God must... What, what are some of the things we do? Joseph, yeah. yeah. God, I memorized scripture. So you have to. What else? Yeah, Larry. Mm. God, if I, then won't you? God, I'll just, God, I really want that house. (laughs) If we, blah, 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 will you come through for us? God's like, nope. I'll come through for you because I'm the kind of God that comes through. I love that ringtone. That must be iOS 8. That is the first time that a cell phone has ever rang in the middle of What else? A couple more. What are the ways that we... Yeah, Beth, Clemence, Leibovich. Yeah. So what you're saying is it's, it's a heart posture difference. The thing that makes the difference between healthy and unhealthy might be the motivation at which you're coming at it, possibly. Am I putting words in your mouth? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Well, they were my words. For me, I think, it's a heart posture difference. Hey, wife, I'm going to love you because it's Valentine's Day. (laughs) She rolls her eyes because we had a (laughs) not very romantic Valentine's Day. But, did I just say that? But, (laughs) the point isn't I'm going to love you because it's Valentine's Day. It's, hey, here's another chance to love you because I love you. What if the disciplines are less for God and more for us? Hmm. Yeah. There is a sense of control, huh? Hmm. To get leverage with God? Yeah. Or so we have the right to ask. Well, God, I, I, I made deposits into our account so I can make some withdrawals. Anyone else? Last, last thought? The problem is that Yeah. God wants to move us from a transactional understanding of I put this in and you output this to what Beth is saying, what everybody's saying. It's, it's relational. Transaction is about control, right? You do the transaction so you can be in control. Relationship, you do your part of the relationship for the sake of the relationship. So maybe God never really wanted all of that blood. Maybe God just said, hey, if you insist, but one day I will show you. What you got there? Really, I'm glad we live today. (laughs) That's what I mean. (laughs) I'm glad we live today. 
post-Jesus. That does bring up a very dangerous point. How many people in ministry have you seen still operate out of the Abraham and Isaac model? Don't even get me started. Don't even. That's a whole nother talk. But the Abraham and Isaac model is still alive and well in ministry, isn't it? Hey God, I'm going to go take care of your work. I'm going to go do this for you. And if my family is a turns out to be collateral damage, hey, I'm doing your work. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's more like, all right, God, I'm going to go do this. You fill in the gaps in my family. I'm going to go build your church. You fill in the gaps in my family. But sometimes it turns into actual sacrificing of children on the altar of ministry. That is another topic for another day. But these things aren't just back here, back then. These things are embedded in us still in the way we operate, even in full-time ministry and leadership. So, yeah. I hope that, I guess what I want us to see, last thought, and then we'll, we'll respond, is how this, even this example, all comes back to Jesus. So in the beginning, it's a sense of, well, does God want sacrifice? Well, let's look at what Jesus did. Jesus, did he demand it or did he become it? Is God, is this God's ideal? Does God want it to be this way? And Jesus says, no, I'm going to meet you here, but I'm going to pull you forward so you no longer need this anymore. I will become the sacrifice that will end your immaturity. (laughs) (laughs) And the shame and insecurity that undergirded the whole system, this desire that God is angry, God needs to be appeased, we must please God. Jesus comes and he says, let me heal you of that way of thinking and seeing and let me show you what my father's really like. All these three themes come together in the sacrificial system around Jesus and he says, look it, let's be done with this. Let's quit playing this game so I can heal you, so I can set you free and so that you can draw near to God with assurance, with confidence. Not in a transactional way. We're not trying to be negative about the spiritual disciplines. We're not trying to say don't spend time alone with God, or don't study your Bible. It's, it's not about that. It's, why are you doing that? Are you doing that so that God will have to output something back to you so you can have leverage in your walk with God? Or are you doing that because you want to walk more closely with the God that is already closer than your own breath? Okay, final thought, and then we'll respond. Mike Fry. Phil, thank you, Mike. You're going to add on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was circumcision really necessary? <laughs> Canadians would say no. 
Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you give a talk on that with, with props, with, with live demos? Let me, last thing, uh, let me tell you a story about sacrifice real quick, okay? So, this will be the last thing and then we'll, we'll pray for each other. We, we associate sacrifice by its very definition means give up something against your will, right? It's like to, to give up something that you're not excited to give up. But I remember out in Denver where Sarah and I used to live and work, there's a pond right outside of our, our YWAM campus called Goose Poop Pond. You'll never guess why it's called that. Um, it's not called that because it's in the shape of a big piece of goose poop. It's like the nastiest pond you could ever... Be in. You do not want to go for a leisurely swim in this thing. And I remember one day I'm walking around Goose Poop Pond and I, I look out in the middle and I see this like 11 or 12 year old kid with this spear over. He's got his shirt off. He's waist deep in Goose Poop Pond and he's got this spear over his head. And I was just so intrigued and I yelled to him. I was like, dude, what are you doing out there? And he's like, I'm fishing, duh. And I was like, okay, have you caught anything? And he's like, yeah, check it out. And he points over to the side. And on the side, on the little bank of Goose Poop Pond, not too far from me, is this big old fish with a hole in it about this big with its guts <laughs> spilling out. And I was like, oh, it's a sacrifice. But I'm like, what on earth would possess somebody to do something like that? It was just disgusting. Much less, I mean, first of all, to get in that pond, but to get in the pond to just like put a hole in a fish? And put it on the bank for people to walk by and get grossed out by? It's like, what is pleasurable? What is joyful about that? And he had this huge smile on his face. But then it crossed my mind. I realized something. I had gotten in that pond one time. Actually twice, but one time that I got in this pond, you know what it was? I was playing soccer, and our soccer ball got loose from us, and it landed on the water, and the wind started taking it away, and somebody had to go in and get our ball to continue our game. So I jumped in this nasty old pond, like you have to shower with bleach after you're done, to go get a soccer ball. And I was like, thinking through, wait, I would never get in this nasty pond to go spearfishing. But it wasn't that big of a sacrifice to go get the soccer ball. And what I realized was kind of two things you will only sacrifice for something to the extent that you value it. First of all, you will only sacrifice for something to the extent that you value it. But the other side of that coin is as you value it more and more, sacrifice no longer feels sacrificial, but it actually turns into profound joy, doesn't it? As a parent, you know how that is. You get, maybe you get birthday money still somehow. Where does your birthday money usually go? When you're a parent, where does all your birthday money go? To the kids. <laughs> to the family. Is Sarah like, oh, look at me being a martyr. It is a delight for her to sacrifice something given to her to pass it on to these boys that kill each other in front of the congregation. So all that to say, you guys tracking with me? So what I think this is getting at, Mike, and I'm glad you brought that verse up, I believe that there is a place of sacrifice of praise, but it's not this transactional sacrifice, is it? It's 
out of delight and joy because it wells up so profoundly in us that yes, it's sacrificial maybe to people on the outside, but the closer we get to Jesus, it's like, how can I not? How can I not? So, we're going to do a couple things real quick to, to wrap up. If you feel like Jesus wants to break you free from this, if you find yourself slipping into bartering mentality or doing this to get leverage with God mentality or this sense of, well, if I do A, then God must do B mentality, and you want Jesus to help you transition from a less transactional to more relational model, then will you get prayer from somebody if you feel like you want to be set free from our modern day forms of sacrifice? Would you get prayer from somebody? And the other thing I want to open up is just if there's anybody that's feeling like just physical things going on. If you have something that, yeah, just your, your body's not right. There's something that you need prayer for for healing. We want to make sure, I mean, we always are open to that, but I just want to make sure I mentioned it on this particular Sunday. I felt it was important to, to open it up. If you need prayer for something physical, will you get prayer? So those are those two things. Does anybody immediately know for, for either one of those that you would like somebody to pray with you? Would you just put your hand up real quick? Not to be putting you guys on the spot, but just put your hand up. You guys that, okay, so take note of who just put their hands up and make sure that we have some people gather around them. This is time for everybody to play. This is participatory. We all get to jump in and, and serve and bless one another. So... Um, one more time so everybody can see it. Just make sure, I don't want to make, sh- I want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to get prayer. Okay, thank you. So will some people gather around these ones real quick before we spread off and, and ask them what they would like prayer for? And as we're doing that, any other words or pictures or, or things that you feel God wants to speak into our ministry time? I knew there was one. Yes, Mike. That's a nice year for and Fords. I Thank you. Phil, were you going to add something to that? And then we'll pray. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, and I don't want to let the Holy Spirit show you what that means for you, but based on what we're talking about, I would assume that would partly have to do with God wanting us to set us free from a transactional, do this, I will do that model. And God, I need to do this to have leverage with you. God wants our actions Jesus died partly so that our motivations could spring from freedom and we aren't obligated to do A, B, and C for God. But that there's space for us to just live out of what's really in our hearts. There's freedom for us. So 
Yeah, if, you, if those things speak to you, then yeah, please get prayer. So let's, let's do that right now. If you saw some people with their hands up, go ahead and gather around them and ask them, you know, can I pray for you? And for what specifically? And if you don't need prayer, then just, yeah, enjoy the rest of your time here with us this morning. We're glad you all came. And maybe you want prayer and you just didn't want to raise your hand. So go connect with someone and, and do that, all right? In about...